Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Redeemed Through His Blood. In this podcast, we discuss hope, healing, and redemption through the atonement of Jesus Christ. I'm Scott Durfee. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce my partner in this project and our teacher, Brother David Durfee. Say hi, Dave. Oh, it's so great to be here, Scott. I always look forward to being with you and sharing these things with, uh, with others, so thank you. Yeah, it's good. We uh, look forward to today. We've got some great stuff. I'm really excited to talk about the things that we'll be talking about today. Uh, just a reminder, each of these podcasts sort of build one from the next. And so to get the uh, complete experience, which we'd encourage you to do, go back to episode one. Uh, in episode one, we talk about Holy Week. Uh, we actually released that right around Easter. In fact, it was Easter weekend where we released that, and uh, we talked about uh, the life of the Savior during that week. And then from there, we uh, start in a progressive uh, a progressive way. We start moving towards these great and wonderful things that we've been talking about. So again, to uh, uh, have the complete experience, we'd encourage you to go back to those early episodes if you haven't already done so. We also know that there's uh, been a lot of occasion because I've seen this in emails that we've received and people that we've talked to that uh, people are going back multiple times and listening to the same podcast. Dave, I know I've done that just to glean from your wisdom and to take notes better. And uh, anyway, we'd encourage you to continue to do that too. Also, we want to thank you for your emails. Uh, we've received several emails this week. Wonderful, wonderful emails, comments, and and anecdotes and uh, experiences, and we're just grateful for that. Also, if you do have uh, recommendations or suggestions for us, we're still new at this too. We're just a couple of guys sharing our witness of the truthfulness of things that are important to us. We're not professional podcasters, but we do want to make this as a good of experience for you as we possibly can, and so we try to up our professionalism as much as we possibly can when we can, and much of that comes from your suggestions. We encourage you to continue in that vein. Our email where you can reach us for those types of things is us at gmail.com. us at gmail.com. So encourage you to send those emails. We appreciate it very much. We uh, get excited to hear from you, to be encouraged by you, to receive uh, um, suggestions from you, uh, to receive questions from you that we try to integrate in our discussion. And again, we will be uh, probably filling complete podcasts in the future with some of those questions. So keep those coming. We appreciate it very much. So Dave, last week, uh, if you'll remember, we uh, extended an invitation. Uh, We extended an invitation to our listeners and... uh, do you remember what that invitation was? Well, uh, we reminded everybody that it was an invitation to uh, overcome their fears, to be more sensitized. I want to remind everybody of, of that invitation. And then uh, in regards to last week's specific lesson, it was to just try to have a different perspective, try to think of repentance a little differently. And instead of thinking about it as far as changing yourself, try to see repentance as being changed. Approach our daily repentance, our our repentance to prepare to partake of the sacrament on Sunday, as as casting our sins upon the altar, giving them to Christ, and allowing Him to, and his atoning sacrifice and his blood to change us. 
So again, it was just to change their perspective instead of seeing repentance as changing to see it as being changed. Right. <clears throat> yeah, and I think as we uh, as we adopt that new view, which is going to take some effort and some time, I think, for many of us. I think that uh, for so many years and for maybe even m- most, if not all of our lives, uh, a lot of us, myself, have has in, in the past been included in this. Uh, you know, we've kind of seen it the other way. And so I think this uh, change of view as we put it more towards um, the the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, our repentance. And, and instead of uh, thinking of it as I'm repenting of a sin, I think of it now as my repentance just means that I'm more fully coming unto Him, and as I more fully come unto Him, those types of desires and the the propensities that I may have had from who knows when start to dissipate, and I notice that the things that in my life preclude or, or don't allow the uh, uh, visitation and the constant companionship of the Holy Spirit, which is, as we've talked about, the way that we put on the atonement of Jesus Christ is through the administration of the Spirit. Those things that I have done that have offended the Spirit and have disallowed the Spirit to be completely with me in my life, they go away. And I no longer, and, I, and it's talked about throughout Scripture, that I actually have no longer have a desire to do those wicked, that wickedness or those things. And I think that wickedness sometimes can be harsh, but those things that have uh, kept the Spirit away from me, as I now focus on being changed, changed how? Through the, atone, through the power of Jesus Christ, through His atonement, with a relationship with Him, all of those things change for me. And I'm I tell you, that lifting doesn't quite feel so heavy because I don't feel like I'm lifting it alone anymore, Dave, and so very helpful. Well, that's described in the Book of Mormon, uh, Scott, and it's the real miracle, I think, uh, in the process of repentance and relying upon Jesus Christ, learning, learning, and there is great effort in learning how to rely upon Jesus Christ and His atonement. But in the Book of Mormon, it talks about, I have no more disposition to do evil. That's a miracle. And that's not because of anything really I did. That's because of the, the gifts of the Spirit that can flow into our life as we learn to rely on our Savior. So I, I think that's, that's an important uh, realization. That's an important work, is to be able to... Uh, learn how to uh, apply the atonement of Jesus Christ and access his power and receive that gift of the Spirit. Scott, um, in, in regards to that, I, uh, I've been thinking about the importance of, we talked about the, the godly sorrow that we need to feel in order to really repent, the broken heart and the contrite spirit. And, you know, we've interviewed a couple of individuals who have definitely experienced that. I know you have experienced that. I have experienced that. And uh, when an individual reaches kind of that point, and maybe some would call it a rock bottom, their repentance comes rather naturally, and it kind of flows where they are compelled to be humble, as Alma describes it in Alma chapter 32, that the Zoramites who were cast out of their homes and had nothing left and were starting from scratch, that they were compelled to be humble. 
Well, it's it's off. It's uh, it's awesome, and it's awful to have to be compelled to be humble, and to hit rock bottom. And I reminded our listeners, this is in Elder Anderson's book, but I sh- shared it because it was a personal experience that I had, was the missionary who was being sent home, who kind of hit his rock bottom because he hadn't been honest and he hadn't uh, taken care of his sins before coming to the MTC. And as, as his branch president, I told him that he couldn't come back to the MTC and until and he had a broken heart, contrite spirit, he asked me, well, how do I break my own heart? And I knew by the Spirit what to say to him, that he would never be able to have a broken heart, contrite spirit until he understood what his sins had cost Jesus Christ. And I think we didn't say this last time, and so I wanted to say it today, was that more powerful than us hitting our rock bottom because not a lot of people hit rock bottom scott and they never really yeah. re- repent right. they never yeah. really tap into the power of jesus christ some of those who hit rock bottom maybe don't even know about jesus christ but for us more important than our hitting our rock bottom we need to go to Gethsemane and see him hit his rock bottom where he descends below all things. Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, verse 6. Where he descends below all things. Nobody could have been lower or hit a, a lower rock bottom than Jesus Christ in Gethsemane and on the cross when he paid the price, met the demands of justice, and suffered for all of the sins of all the world. What really breaks my heart, Scott, and I think the most effective way to feel godly sorrow and to come to contrition, the level of contrition, that one must reach to repent, they must see with an eye of faith Jesus Christ in his rock bottom and the role we played to put him there. That, that is, that's the most humbling experience that I've ever received in my life that I continue to experience in my life and that I hope all of our listeners can have that same experience. Yeah, I'm with you. We talk about rock bottom and you know and I I think that uh, this is something that I, I I have had some experience with. I think we all have potentially, but this is one thing that especially in the rooms of recovery that gets talked about quite a bit, Dave. You know, rock bottom. Maybe you hit your rock bottom, or he hasn't, or she hasn't hit their rock bottom yet. And yeah, and there's some there's some confusion. I think my experience tells me this that there's some confusion about uh, what that rock bottom really means. Sometimes, uh, you know. And as we go to Gethsemane, and I and for me especially the cross, you know, as he's hanging on the cross there uh, for me, bloody, beaten. Any of the rest of us would be dead. Uh, it's his godhood that's keeping him alive. And as uh, he feels the removal of our Heavenly Father's Spirit and is there completely alone, 
Uh, that's a rock bottom that none of us can comprehend because we are never left completely alone, even in our deepest and darkest turmoil. We are, even if it's just because we experience the light of Christ, which we all do, even if it's just from that, none of us are left completely alone. Now, Having said that, I don't want to minimize the feelings of loneliness that we sometimes feel in that rock bottom, because sometimes we do. Here's the thing, though. The thing about rock bottom is rock bottom's not a place. It's not even an event. It's not even a series of events. And this is, I think, the important thing for us to differentiate right now. Rock bottom is a choice. Mm. It's where we decide at mm. that point to turn in and we talk about it in the rooms of recovery that's where we decide to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understand him and you know and and that takes a lot dave to to make that process to make that decision to begin to to uh, turn to have that broken heart and contrite spirit as we would put it in our vernacular here uh, it, that takes a lot of effort but uh, it's important for us to know that because it is a decision I can choose my rock bottom as high as I want it to be. You know, mm. we sometimes talk about high bottom drunks and low bottom drunks. And, and you know, and, and what that means is some people come in beaten and bloody and some people come in because they just can't handle When I say come in, come into the rooms of recovery, they just come in because they just don't like the disconnect that they're feeling in their life. Nothing majors happened, you know, nothing super negative, you know, they didn't go to jail, they didn't lose their family, those types of things. So, you know, knowing that, 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 that rock bottom, and we're, and we're getting into semantics here, I get that, but knowing that that rock bottom is and can be a choice can kind of help us, especially as we start to attune and make alignment with uh, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Dave. Well, even a higher and holier choice would be to choose to see Christ in his rock bottom and to take the responsibility to take responsibility for what we have done to put him into that rock bottom I, I, that I, faith is also a choice yeah faith in Jesus Christ is a choice faith to do the work necessary and to receive the gift of uh, faith and the eye of faith, to see our Savior Jesus Christ meet those demands of justice for us so that we don't have to, and receive his mercy and his grace is also a choice. And I don't know that we need to, again, this may be semantical as well, but there is a difference between receiving mercy and grace. And it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about having no more disposition to do evil. You know, mercy, as I see it, is to receive a forgiveness of sin. We all seek mercy. But also, as a result of the atonement of Jesus Christ, we can receive his grace, which is the enabling power of the atonement of Jesus Christ, so it's not enough just to be cleansed and forgiven of sin and receive mercy and redemption from sin, but we can receive through the atonement of Jesus Christ and through his blood the enabling power which strengthens us to overcome sin. And we, we need to kind of understand, I think, that the atonement of Jesus Christ does more for us than forgive us, forgives us, 
and it does more for us than cleanses us. It strengthens us. And that also, I think, is an important understanding to fully appreciate the atonement of Jesus Christ in our life. So maybe just, again, some um, review there. And, uh, again, how we should see what repentance is uh, instead of just, uh, again, us changing. I mean, again, atheists and agnostics and anyone can change. But being changed through the blood and atonement of Jesus Christ, that's, that's more sacred, it's more redemptive, it's, it's a longer lasting, it's, it's, a, it's a different level of change. Yeah, <clears throat> definitely a higher and holier way, there's no question. And I think that that's, where we, uh, that's why, we're, why we're here. That's where we are trying to go with this podcast and uh, I think in our lives as well. So, Dave, having all, having all that in mind now, I think we kind of set the stage for the uh, next part of our discussion. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce what that's going to be and uh, start to, uh, we'll start moving in that direction. Well, again, before we talk about any real specifics about what we need to do to be changed and to get into the specifics of the process we call repentance, we need to understand we, a, a quality uh, that we, an attribute that we all need to focus on uh, in order to complete the process of repentance. And uh, I think that's... Uh, called accountability for sin or honesty, a complete, total honesty. Uh, in Elder Anderson's book, it's called uh, Uncompromising Honesty. Uh, in his book, this is chapter 18, uh, he, he did a marvelous job in, in describing this attribute that we all must have in order to completely and fully repent and to be able to go through the process of repentance. I also have really loved over, I don't know, it's been probably five to ten years ago, Elder Lynn G. Robbins gave this amazing talk called uh, Being 100% Responsible. It was, uh, I think, given at BYU... It's the opening address of Education Week, and uh, I just really recommend that to our listeners as well, to read Elder Anderson's chapter and Elder Robin's uh, talk called 100%, Being 100% Responsible. And uh, as, as we do that, Scott, we need to take 100% responsibility, and we need to understand what it means to be 100% blameless. I love the phrase blameless in the scriptures in the standard works. And I think what that means is two things. Number one, that, uh, that no one can blame us because we, we have been forgiven of our sins. We've been cleansed and strengthened and we become 100% blameless that way. But it also means in the scriptures, when it talks about being blameless, that uh, and our listeners should just look that up in the index. Uh, or it also means that we stop blaming others, including ourselves. 
that we 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 don't blame and we don't shame. There can be no blame or shame when it comes to repentance. We don't blame others. We don't blame ourselves. We don't shame others. We don't shame ourselves. I, th- I think blame and shame are really two two negatives that people pick up on and it holds them back and it's I think the natural man in us to beat ourselves up and to beat up others and and we need to eliminate that which is the shame and we need to eliminate the blaming of others or seeing ourselves as victims we need to take uh, we need to take 100% responsibility and accountability and exercise 100% honesty in the process, or we will not complete the process. If we start looking at that list, you know, you start, you say blaming others, and there's a lot of other things that kind of work into that, that to, to separate us or distract us or keep us from making a complete repentance process, or in other words, completely turning under the Savior for rescue and for all things that we need. But, you know, as we start looking at these things, David, I think that as I I go through here, you know, and Elder Robbins, he's got a pretty comprehensive list here of 19 things. We won't go through all of them here. We'll encourage you to do that. But, you know, there's a lot of these. As I go through each one of these, I'll just maybe mention a few. But that was definitely the first one was blame. The second one's rationalizing or justifying. Another one's making excuses. I go down the list. There's rebelling. I go down the list even further. There's indulging in self-pity and a victim mentality. I go down even further, procrastination, allowing fear to rule. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago on our podcast that was uh, released just recently. And then enabling. And, you know, as I go through each one of these, David, they all fall under one category, and that's the category of ego. Mm. They're all about me. They're ego all, and pride. Ego and pride, and and you know, driven by fear, yeah, <laughs> insecurities, insecurities, and all those other things, which are all tools of the enemy. I see all of this, and you know, when we talk about ego, there's a lot of traditions uh, that I've studied that when we talk about ego, they go right, come right out and say, ego is nothing more than a separation of ourselves from our heavenly father. We do not see our connection with our heavenly father. That's ego. I think I can subscribe to that definition. And, and I well, think it's enmity according to president Benson. Exactly. Pride is okay. enmity, enmity between us and God, especially and ourselves and others. And thereby we're separated. And that separation makes the repentance process not only confusing and difficult, but it can throw up barriers that make it impossible to be complete in that process, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to read a a paragraph from Elder Anderson's book. There is no true repentance and no true forgiveness without complete honesty. In our desire to repent, honesty becomes critically important First and foremost, we must be honest with our Heavenly Father and with ourselves. Any dishonesty and deception are at the foundation and root of almost all sin. That, that, it's just so true. I, I love, my favorite definition of sin is, is not just breaking commandments. My favorite definition of sin is it's a form of self-deception. It's a form of not being honest with ourselves, not being honest with our conscience, not being honest with the light of Christ. Uh, Sin is a form of dishonesty and self-deception. 
Uh, Elder Anderson continues, sometimes when someone begins to repent, he or she begins by exposing, and this can be in personal prayer or confession to a, a church leader, but they begin by exposing only a part of a larger issue. Sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking the whole picture need not be told or that part of what occurred was someone else's fault. Good people can deceive themselves and be deceived. Any deception delays the repentance process. Yeah. Yeah, I love that you brought that up, self-deception. You know, we won't get into a whole lot of detail here, but many years ago I was certified to teach uh, and present a uh, concept called leadership and self-deception. And so for those of you who are interested, I would go out and look up Arbinger Group, the Arbinger Principles, because there you will get a real concise definition of what self-deception is. In a nutshell, what self-deception is, is horribleizing other people or horribleizing other events or making them... Blaming. Always blaming. Always blaming others. We say that in there. Always, always blaming others. And as we're doing that, what we're doing is we're justifying and extolling our own perceived and sometimes manufactured virtues around those things. So in other words... That's so bad, and I try so hard. And, you know, I guess what it distills down to, Dave, is almost a victim mentality around that stuff. Well, uh, I love the, the book that I read so many years ago called Leadership and Self-Deception, and I've, I've uh, been always grateful for the, the great work that Terry Warner has done in this regard right. and, and the, some of the, his work and publication on, on what it means to be blameless. That's how I see it. Yeah. Anyway, I, we don't want to minimize either here, Scott, those who have been abused, those who have been hurt, truly those who have been victimized, and we don't want to minimize or discount the downward spiral that abuse uh, being abused by others can put an individual in. And uh, so we're not minimizing that, discounting that, or in any way uh, making light of the reality that some of our listeners, no doubt, and again, to some small, in some small way, all of us are victims, victims to Satan, victims to sin, victims to others. Uh, it's part of mortality. It's part of life. But to to live in that realm and to rationalize our behaviors by putting ourselves in a place where we are not responsible and we're not accountable is double abuse. Right. We are now beginning to abuse ourselves. Right. And it becomes a for, form of self-abuse through self-deception. Yep, that's exactly right. And for, for, for reasons that are complex and sometimes difficult to understand. But even in, those, even in those states that we find ourselves, you know, those of us who have been abused, those of us who have had things perpetrated against us that are ugly and unspeakable and, and, and all of that, even 
those of us who have gone through that have the ability to own a little bit of what is ours and what is not. And, and owning that little bit of what is ours, even then we still have the ability and therefore the responsibility to attach ourselves to the principles of hope, healing, and redemption through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Exactly right. And I want to again emphasize, we did a whole podcast almost on this, on the effects after we spoke about the events, we spoke about the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ in our life. And one of those effects, which is completely unconditional, is the compensatory powers and blessings that flow into our life through the atonement of Jesus Christ for those who have been abused. Right. And to accept that unconditional gift, even though it's unconditional, it must be accepted. And to accept that helps us to move on from victimization, to receive the blessings of the atonement of Jesus Christ and the compensatory powers that can flow into our life. To have faith in that and to accept it helps us then to to move on from abuse and and uh, those any ugly form of crime criminal activity abuse at the hands of others it helps us to to move on from that right well i think that uh, you know as we as we start talking about becoming more honest and and uh, completely honest and i think the level to which we can practice honesty in our lives and especially in our repentance, most especially in our repentance process. And again, just to reiterate, meaning to turn away from that which is not of God and turning towards a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to help eliminate the things in our lives that keep the spirit away. But as we embark on this effort to become more honest, I think, Dave, there's a chapter in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's called, it's chapter six, into action. And in a portion of that, I'm, I'm just going to read it, uh, and I'll modify it to fit us. Uh, more than most people, it says the alcoholic, but I'm going to say more than most people, the fallen man, the natural man, leads a double life. He is very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. To a degree, Dave, that's, that, that can be all of us, at mm-hmm. least at some points in our lives, because you, sure. we try, we fail, we try, we fail. The failure is embarrassing. You know, we, through, because of guilt and mostly because of shame, we begin to develop, we can begin, I did develop a, a stage persona, if you will, that I wanted others to believe, where deep inside there were things that were not congruent with that, which allowed the enemy to be more in control of what was going on inside my heart than I was able to give my life and my will to to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, Scott, it goes back to Adam and Eve when he says, Adam, where art thou? Eve, where art thou? And uh, he could have asked, who art thou? Right. Uh, Anyway, we all have this... um, natural man in us since the fall of Adam and Eve where we where we hide you know we have a place when we sin that we all go to and we try to hide our real selves our our true identity 
is covered up and we hide and we become an actor and we we act out and we become actors we become uh, two-faced we be, we're all hypocrites when we sin whenever we sin we become hypocrites because that's not who we really are right uh, but we are all sinners helping sinners and we should understand that and understanding that should help us to forgive ourselves and others well have we said enough about honesty taking 100 percent responsibility um, uh, being 100 percent accountable and taking accountability and being blameless and shameless we'll, we'll say more about these things but Dave, what if, what if we talk just for a second about what can, we talked about the barriers to repentance? What can be some of the barriers to our honesty? And I think that you identified some of those just then, right? With uh, we all have as a, a role we want to play. We all have the actor a little bit in us. We're all two faced to a degree. We all can become hypocrites. But what are some of the barriers, and how do we overcome those? Do you think? I I think the the major barriers to honesty, accountability, responsibility are the same that we identified that are barriers to, to repenting in general, Scott. And I, I think it's number one, fear, and number two, pride. I mean, we're all afraid of, of really being found out. That's right. Or being caught yep. in a lie. We all Discovered. love and make a lie. Yep. Uh, that's such an interesting uh, description for those who go to the celestial kingdom. That's uh, two places in the scriptures. In Doctrine and Covenants, uh, I think 64, and I know it's in 76, Doctrine and Covenants 76, in describing the uh, quality or attributes of those who go to the celestial kingdom, it says, and those who loveth and maketh a lie. Yeah. Uh, lying, not being true, not being congruent, makes up the, the large part of those who go to the the celestial kingdom, or hell, as we might as we might call it. So I, I think that um, the great roadblocks or stumbling blocks to again repenting and to being one hundred percent accountable, responsible, and honest are fear that uh, you fear. That's that whole description is given in. In fact, I I think I want to read it, Scott, if I can find it real yeah, quick. Yeah. Is this is this passage of scripture? Here it is in section sixty-three of the Doctrine and Covenants, beginning with verse sixteen. It reads, "And verily I say unto you, as I have said before, he that looketh on a woman to lust after her, or we could say man, or we could say any other sin here, uh, they commit adultery in their hearts, or they sin in their hearts. They shall not have the spirit." Number one but shall deny the faith, number two, and shall fear. Wherefore, I, the Lord, have said that the fearful and the unbelieving and all liars and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie shall have part in that lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I love that uh, because we think, you know, my first response to that is, who loves a lie? That's ridiculous. Nobody loves a lie. But then you, if you give further uh, attention to that to that concept, he who loves a lie, 
We all love lies. I, you know, lying, I really believe that lying uh, or not being 100% truthful, if you want to soften it a little bit, which I don't care to do. So I think lying is a universal sin. We all participate at some point because all of us, and maybe I should speak in the I form. I, I have a certain idea in my mind about how the world sees me. And I've developed that idea based on the inputs of others, especially those who are important to me. And sometimes that hasn't been the most accurate or most holy or most benevolent way to see myself. But I see myself in a way, again, creating that stage actor, right? And so, you know, I I hope that as we hear that, well, I don't love a lie. I hope that's not our attitude. I hope that's not our thought process. Because you know what? Yeah, we all kind of do. And uh, in that, we find separation from our Heavenly Father. So when we are able to overcome that and move in a direction where honesty is more prevalent and prevails more deeply in our lives, that's when the repentance process can actually gain traction and put us in a in a posture where we are more inclined to our uh, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and His powers and healings that come through that. It's uh, it's always been funny to me that we describe small lies as white lies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, like they're okay. Yeah, that's okay. You know, and I know there's different degrees of being dishonest or being honest, but uh, it just seems there's nothing white about any lie. And it's 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 interesting to me, Scott, that the way the enemy, as you choose to call him, and the devil, or Satan, or Lucifer, as I'll call him, is 90% honest in everything that he whispers to us, and is 10% dishonest, and that's how he gets us. Yeah. That's how he gets us. Yeah. And, th- and that's how we, that's that becomes our downfall. I mean, I think all of us as sinners, we, we whisper these uh, part truths, we rationalize and we we tell ourselves things that may be even true, but it's the uh, that's that ten percent part that's untrue. In the Garden of Eden, you know, when when Satan is is whispering to Eve that uh, I, you need to you need to learn the difference between good and evil, and this is how you become gods, and and he's telling he's speaking all of these truths. And then he gets to this one lie, you shall not surely die. But because he's told her already, he whispered 90% truth, and then he gives her the one lie, she buys it. And that's the way we are with ourselves. I, I mean, even in, even in my own sins, you know, he whispers to us or we whispers to ourselves, well, it, it will feel good or it will hide my pain or, or cover my pain or it, it, will, it will be comfortable or it will be fun or it will be whatever, 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 right? Yeah, that, it, it even moves into you're not hurting anybody else. Yeah, you're only hurting you're yourself. You're only hurting yourself. Which is a complete lie because exactly. no one can sin in a bubble because as soon as we sin, we lose the spirit, and that hurts everyone else that we know, everyone else that we touch or have a relationship with. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just so easy for us to um, buy a lie and 
the lie which can then destroy, begin to destroy us from within, which then begins to affect everyone else that uh, is important to us. So I I just, there can be no, uh, in all lies there is nothing but darkness, and in all truth there is nothing but light. And I think one of the greatest lies that Satan pours into us is that you're not who you really think you are, that you're something or someone else, and that you must be like someone or something else, or that to be comfortable or to, to find pleasure and, and happiness, you have to do this or be like them and he whispers that to us, uh, but the lie that he also whispers to us, and you will not surely die or be accountable. And then he's got us. Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, you know, as we talk about this, and, you know, we could we could continue to talk about this uh, concept of honesty and complete honesty for a long time, but... I think that, uh, you know, we have done a sufficient job in kind of putting forth our thoughts around it, the importance around it. And I hope that the, the witness of the Spirit, I trust that it is, that the witness of the Spirit is touching our hearts as we consider this and as we think about this. And as, and here will be my invitation today, and as we start to have thoughts about where can my honesty be made better, where can I be more complete in my honesty or more true in my dealings with myself first, with my, or with my Heavenly Father first, with myself too, and with others, you know, I, I think that if we, as we start to identify those and ask for His help, in moving past those through the atonement, through Jesus Christ's power, through the atonement of Jesus Christ, those things can be made right and healed, and we can then begin to move into a more, more peaceful life here in this planet, Dave. Yeah, so um, then I would like to maybe begin to transition from being totally honest, accountable, uh, blameless, responsible, to uh, maybe another part of the process of repentance, which is confession, confessing to ourselves, being honest and recognizing a need, confessing our inadequacies to ourselves, confessing our sins, recognizing 100% our accountability, confessing our sins to God, our Heavenly Father, in private and personal prayer, laying it out for him, no more hiding, telling him about all of our inadequacies and all of our sins. This is kind of interesting because when we confess to our Heavenly Father, it's not like he doesn't know what we've done right. and yeah. who we, are, who we yeah. really are. Yeah. Uh, he knows it already, yeah. but there is a power in us being accountable and confessing it to him, coming clean, right? I, I mean, that's, I know that's important in our personal prayers to him, in our confession, and I think it's really important in, 
in addiction programs, right? Yeah, 100% right. I mean, it, I mean, everybody knows why you're there, but... Yeah, but, but, but here's the thing with that, though. You know, everybody knows that we're there, but as we come, we come with those... And, it, and it's rarely been the exception. I've never seen the exception in my 23 years of sponsoring people and sitting through what we call a fifth-step inventory where they read or we talk about all of our defects of character with a fearless and searching moral inventory, having done that first... There's never been an exception to this where we just have something that I'm just going to take to my grave. You know, <laughs> I just don't want to talk about that. Um, and we find that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, pause for a minute. Yeah. I've had people tell me that. Yeah. Scott. Yeah. In the church sure. who have confessed to me, who have said, you know, I, w- I had just decided I had come to the conclusion that I was going to be the best person I could be. And I was just going to never confess that sin and take it to my grave and trust that I could work that out on the other side or that Heavenly Father would eventually, or that I would suffer for my sins, which I think is is complete false doctrine because Jesus paid for all the sins of all the world. But they were going to suffer, and then God would forgive them with a few stripes, and they would be able to, to go to heaven. Yeah. But you know what we find? We find that uh, we all have those there. You know, Deb, my wife, uh, has a, she has a lot of great sayings. She was raised by a wonderful mother who had sayings on the fridge every day. In fact, we get a, every year we get a calendar, uh, a family calendar, and, you know, uh, each family has a month, and there's almost enough. In fact, there are enough kids in the family to do that. Each family has a month. But there are sayings all over this calendar. They call them Shirleyisms because she came up with these things as they were growing up, and they were raised on these sayings. Uh, and so, Shirley, there you go. I know you listen to this. I love you. And Power I, of the word. That's exactly right. Uh, and I want to give you credit for some of the greatness in your sweetheart, your sweet daughter, my sweetheart. But Deb always says we're only as sick as our secrets. Our secret, our secrets will keep us sick. I love that. Yeah, they will keep us ill. They will keep us separated from our heavenly Father. They will keep us separated from being true to those around us. And we can feel that, Dave. We can feel when somebody's incongruent, living outside of their integrity. Yeah. Sometimes we don't know why. Sometimes we can't put words to it. Sometimes it's unexplainable to us. But there's that thing that just feels off. Yeah. And, and we create that when we try to hide our secrets, when we try to keep those things that uh, secret that keep us from our Heavenly Father. We are only as sick as our secrets. As our secrets. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Well, I, amen. And uh, so in, uh, in moving forward, as we confess to our Heavenly Father... We need to be just completely honest. Uh, I, I've always been impressed with evangelicals who confess their right. their sins. Now, I, I'm not I'm not saying it's completely accurate or or complete or the best way. I'm just saying I'm impressed. I'm touched. I respect evangelicals very much who confess that they are sinners. Right. And it seems as though, I know we all know we are, but it seems like um, there's a lot of uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and, and others, and many others who um, 
have that have a hard time doing that. Yeah. Uh, going to, before their heavenly Father and calling up on Him and 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 just crying out, "I am a sinner." I I I just think that's an important step in the process of repentance is the the crying out. Yeah. That I uh, not only have I sinned, but that I am a sinner, and recognizing our complete, utter, total need and dependency upon Him, and that that we're fallen. This goes back to the doctrine of the fall, knowing that we are sinners, and that we need Him, is a really important. Uh, realization and point that we must all all experience uh, to be able to repent and we we need to talk about uh, why we confess uh, not only to our heavenly father but maybe the two uh, to the proper priesthood leaders in the church uh, who we confess to and uh, what should be confessed so maybe those are the three questions, Scott, that we can uh, talk about when it comes to confession, and we probably don't have time to get into those three, and so maybe that's just a little bit of a teaser. Yeah, well, we can next, definitely do that with our next podcast for sure. For our next podcast is to, to answer those, those questions and begin to explore the role of the church when it comes to, to repentance. But uh, maybe we can kind of conclude today by just talking about the importance of complete honesty and accountability, and even when it comes to confession. And the scripture that I think is really awesome in this regard, in uh, being accountable, being honest, is uh, Doctrine and Covenants. I think it may be one of the ultimate scriptures on repentance, actually. And we'll explore it in some depth, uh, especially in our next uh, next episode. Uh, Doctrine comes 58, verses 42 and 43. Behold, he who has repented of his sins, the same is forgiven. And I, the Lord, remember them no more. By this ye may know if a man repenteth of his sins. Behold, he will confess them and forsake them. I, I'd choose not to see confession and forsaking of sin as steps of repentance, but rather, Scott, I see them as signs of our repentance. And that's the way this reads. By this, yeah. or this is how yeah. you'll know, right? right? Right. By this, you may know if a man repenteth of his sins. Yeah. He'll confess them, all of them. Be be completely honest. He will confess them, and he will forsake them. So uh, that those, I think, are the evidence. Of repentance. The evidence of repentance. The manifestations, we could call them, of repentance. Right. That we confess that we come clean, and doing that precedes our ability to forsake them and put them behind us. And maybe we can explore that in the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. 
I, I, and I think that we need to because, you know, Dave, as we go through life and in life in the church, for those of us who have been raised in the church and those of us who have uh, come to the church later in life and those of us who have taken hiatuses and come back to the church, you know, in the church, we're encouraged to be our best selves and the best that we can. And I think sometimes we view it's and it's it's been an age old problem, uh, and it will probably continue to as long as ego and uh, is alive and well among us. I think that there can be a problem of we feel like going back to the actor on a stage type of uh, scenario. We need to at some point in order for us to be completely in the fold, you know, uh, taken like a hen takes her chicks under her wings. If we want to become one of those chicks, we definitely need to have the ability to confess and consake now or forsake. Now that doesn't mean I wear my sin like a badge of honor. That doesn't mean that I show up everywhere I go and I'm talking about uh, my sins and, and all of those things. But what it does mean, well, anyone who does that, Scott, hasn't forsaken it. That's my point. Yeah. What it does mean is that I've put on, I have put on the atonement of Jesus Christ, and because of that, my nature has changed. When we confess them and we come clean with them, especially with the Lord and with our Heavenly Father, then we will forsake them. Confessing and forsaking go together. We confess them, we're honest, we're accountable, responsible. Right. And then we put them behind us. And we don't, do not continue to beat ourselves up or to shame ourselves or to blame ourselves. They're in the past. They're in the past. If we've been honest, if we've been accountable, right. responsible, yep. we can forsake them. And to, until we are honest, they're always in front of us. They're always before us. We can lie to ourselves and our Heavenly Father and others, but those those lies or those those sins and deception is always in front of us. When we are honest and fully confess, they move behind us. We put them behind us, and that's what it means to forsake them. And anyone who goes around confessing their sins over and over and over again have obviously not either been totally honest or accountable or uh, confessed them. And I think that there's an order to this, that there must be complete confession right. in order to, for there to be a complete forsaking of sin. Right. I do, too. I do, too. Well, I, I think, uh, you know, we have uh, spent almost a complete podcast talking about some very important things, specifically how do we uh, begin the repentance process. You know, we, we talk about honesty, being completely honest with who we are. I, I think that as we do that, that it's important for us, too, that we also give credit and are honest about our the good things in our lives. You know, we, we should acknowledge the things in our lives that are working for us. We should acknowledge my prayers are, are substantial, that I'm working towards moving closer to my Heavenly Father because my prayers are good or because I participate or I serve or, or whatever the case may be. Well, we can't let the things that are keeping us from him overrule us. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I think that this is a good time for us to extend yet another invitation, uh, an invitation to look into our own lives. 
where are we completely honest? And, and, and maybe even more importantly than that, where do maybe we compromise our honesty about who we are, not just to others, but especially to our Heavenly Father? We, uh, I invite you to do a complete, and I'll say it in the, you know, in the vernacular of recovery, a complete moral and searching inventory of ourselves, identifying those character defects, those defects of character in our life that pro- propagate and perpetuate those types of things that keep us from him. It's been a great podcast, Dave. I'm going to let you uh, say a few final words here, and then we'll go ahead and close out today. Well, I hope everyone will will take that invitation given by Scott seriously and uh, just do a really honest, uh, open our hearts and our minds, review review our past, and to be able to see things that uh, maybe only the Spirit of the Lord can help us to, to remember. I know that this promise in the Scriptures is, is sure that he who has repented of his sins that the the Lord will forgive them and that he will remember them no more. He'll remember them no more. It's not like he forgot them. He'll choose not to remember them. However, for us, Scott, I think it's hard for us to... uh, I know that we'll never forget our sins, and that's, that's actually a gift, right? so that we won't repeat the same sins that we'll... I think it's good for us to remember the, the pain, and uh, it's good for us to remember the process uh, of repentance and remember our, our, serious sin, our more serious sins that we commit. So it's a gift that we don't um, forget. But I think it's really important that in our honesty, as we seek to remember even the sins that we have not repented of, that we make that inventory as you invited us to do that we that we maybe write down some things and that we take care of those things and then we burn them or like the anti-nephi lehi's in the book of mormon that we dig a big hole in the in our heart or in the ground uh, the sometimes hard ground of our heart, and that we bury them. That we bury them and that they're gone, that we bury our weapons or our sins, and that we leave them always buried. So hope you'll take that invitation uh, uh, seriously to take an inventory and to be honest. And uh, I testify that I know that that'll, that'll help us to move forward. As we look backward and we're honest with ourselves, then we can move forward putting those things behind us. And I absolutely love how you paralleled that to burying our weapons of war, because these can truly be weapons of war. You know, maybe just an extension on that invitation would be, let's identify how some of those things have become weapons of war to us and how we've used them as weapons of war in our life and how burying those weapons of war might make our lives different. Thanks so much, Dave. It's been awesome to be with you, as always. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, it's been awesome to be with you, as always. Uh, Another great podcast I feel that we've had here today. Uh, We want to just remind you of our love for you, of his love for you, and most importantly, remember that you have been redeemed through his blood. We look forward to being with you again. Everybody take care and have a great week.